podcast, bringing magical ideas to improve your world from the happiest place on earth. Your host is J. Jeff Kober, author, speaker, and consultant to organizations around the globe that look to bring best of Disney ideas to their workplace. Welcome to the Disney at Work podcast. Today we have a very exciting episode in store for you where we are going to discuss uh, what organizational lessons Disney can learn from other theme parks and then also ask the question what organizational lessons other theme parks can learn from Disney. Uh, we have a special guest today. Before we bring in that special guest, I would like to bring in the owner and operator of DisneyAtWork.com, Jeff Kober. Welcome, sir. Hey, good evening, David. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I just got the opportunity before we got on to finish watching the new uh, Spider-Man Homecoming trailer, <laughs> and uh, it is definitely exciting stuff for a comic book fan like me, and that'll be out, I think it's later this summer, so a busy summer at the movies uh, for nerds. Uh, so uh, we are about five, five or six episodes in, and apparently Jeff has already gotten tired of talking to just me. So uh, what we have done is we have invited uh, a, a good friend and fellow podcaster from the Season Pass podcast, Doug Barnes. Doug, welcome in. Woo! Hey, thank you so much. I'm just honored to be here right now. It is truly a virtual fantasy land to be with you. <laughs> it is, over the- <laughs> because I have no clue how great this looks right now. <laughs> hey, I have to say, now, really, we thought, um, first of all, we... we, we uh, bow ourselves before thee in <laughs> humbleness because what you have like what is it like you're on a 342 to yeah. podcasts and I, I mean we've released what four or five I mean we've taped about 20 but now but uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've released four or five of these yeah. so we're thinking how did they get to that number it's nuts <laughs> so it, it is crazy it is crazy and so good I just listened to that Mark Eads interviewed love that yeah. and uh, awesome. and the awesome. and the uh part six of tony baxter uh which was taped uh recently about a year year and a half ago i think yeah <laughs> that's the running joke of the podcast right now yes we are bringing yeah. you all the newest interviews from a year ago <laughs> you you are clearly our model so when we when we said we were going to have people on this podcast we said well we had to start with doug because we consider him yeah. We Honored. consider him to be the godfather of our of our podcast because I, I would say both David and I just really um, really got into podcasts listening to to season pass. Yeah, it is a brilliant podcast and it is an industry. If you can't be in the industry, I've told people in other in uh, in this industry, um, are you listening to season pass? Because you're not you're not getting it no. if you're if wow. you're not listening to it. So. So uh, it is the 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 best way that I've described it to folks is it's a thinking man's podcast about theme parks and I want to make sure that we give a little bit of a background too and I'm sure stories will come up anecdotally as as we continue to talk today but so Season Pass is a podcast that does not just focus on Disney they focus on all different kinds of theme parks whether it's Six Flags uh, Knott's Berry Farm a lot of other podcasts one of my favorite episodes ever I was telling uh, uh, Jeff before we got on the air that we were my one of my favorite episodes is the episode about the making of Men in Black, 
uh, the Men in Black oh, uh, yes. uh, Alien Attack. Is that what it's called out at, at, at yeah. Universal Studios Florida? Universal uh, Florida. A, a, a ride yeah. that now is extremely outdated, but nonetheless, when I was when my wife and I were on our honeymoon, we got to visit Universal uh, for a couple days, and I remember riding that. That would have been in 2001, and back then it was not out of date. And so to hear about that creative process is a real there's there's interesting insight there. And so if you do want to not do want to, we encourage you immediately, even if you want to hit pause right now, go over to season passpodcast.com uh, and make sure you look them up and go to uh, find a way however whatever method you can to subscribe and you are absolutely in for a treat uh, i am truly humbled thank you guys so ah, much uh, that's our and, homage and, to you and i i keep on saying that i feel like we're the laziest podcast out there because <laughs> you're just talking about 342 well we're almost on 10 years and we're finally getting like almost 350 so i'm like i feel like i'm always behind all the time so uh, no, but thank you so much. I mean, that's, that's, I'm really, uh, honored honored thank you so much well we are glad to have you here and we will make sure that we put information uh, on our show notes page at disneyatwork.com in the podcast section where we will put a link to the season pass podcast website as well as some links to some former episodes back in the 150s and 160s uh, where jeff and i were actually both guests i know we had to look that up beforehand and said how far back is that it would have been yeah one couple together 155 and one in 165 so it was a quite quite a while ago yeah. And I actually, you were talking about Men in Black. I, Jeff, didn't you and I actually ride Men in Black together? We at did. Universal? Yeah, yeah, we were at Universal together doing the yeah. doing the new rides at um, a segment of the park that uh, focused on um, that cartoon character, um, Simpsons. And, uh, oh, I thought we, you were going to say Fievel from American Tale. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, Season Pass doesn't go back that far. Yeah, yeah, no, we're not Bible years. Yeah, when are you? Yeah, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, we need you to come back out here. Have you been out I here? Know. No, I have not. But uh, uh, if if everything works, and right now this is a point where I got to try to figure out finances to see if I could get back to Atlas okay. Triapa. So we yeah. need to like, uh, yeah, send. A, we will be sending around a um, a cup uh, through this podcast, <laughs> a digital collection plate, put yeah. a few coins <laughs> in it, a collection Just plate, cling, yeah. cling the cup, like <laughs> like like. Okay. Well, anyway, so let, to give a little context to what we're talking about t- tonight, um, a couple of months ago, I was on the far. Uh, about as far east as you could go in the United States. And I was with a university group and a respectable group. And I was doing a program on customer service. And and in my programs, I'll use examples from like Starbucks and Ritz-Carlton, but I'll use a lot of examples from Disney. And I used a few from that, that experience and so forth. And that often becomes a thread in, in the programs I'm teaching. About halfway through the afternoon, this guy raises his hands his hand and he says you know here's where i'm having problems is i don't know that we are at that level of disney i don't think we are that good i don't think i don't think you know you give all these great disney examples but i don't think we could be disney i i see us more like the knott's berry farm of uh when it comes to (laughs) to our organization and the first thing i thought of is okay this guy's on the other side of the United States. How does he even know about Knott's Berry Farm? <laughs> you know? yeah. but, but secondly, I thought, okay, so what is he saying and what does it mean? And I started talking to him and I said, you know, honestly, if you really look at the heritage of Knott's Berry Farm and how they took what 
they had, which were a bunch of berries. And you sold it by a stand. And then you realize people wanted something more than berries. And so you add a chicken dinner. And suddenly the demand for the chicken dinner was so big that people are waiting hours in line on a Sunday afternoon to get that chicken dinner. So what can we do to occupy their attention? And and you add a, a ghost town. And from a ghost town, you know, you, you emerge eventually to become a big theme park. You know, if you really look at that evolution, uh, there's nothing wrong with being a Knott's Berry Farm. That's yeah. a pretty that's a pretty awesome place to be. And it and the and the lessons from it is first, you have to drive to where your customer needs what your what your customer wants. And so you just like you go from berries to chicken, chicken to, to a ghost town, you have to become what your customer is asking for. And then secondly, you got to build off your strengths. I mean, who would have said, yeah, you know, people, what they really need uh, while they're waiting for chicken is a, a, a walkthrough of a, of a ghost town, you know? So, but that's what Walter Knott brought to the table. That's what he had an inkling toward. And so he brings it to it. And and then, you know, Knott's got big. And it, be, it, it was trying to be like another Six Flags and trying to look at it and building coasters and you know, iron rides left and right. And it finally had to take a step back and say, hey, you know, we need to go back to who our audience is, our family. You know, families are our audience and and uh, and we need to respect our heritage. And so they've gone back to relook at the attractions, the beloved attractions that they've had. And you need to respect your heritage too. And so my point in that experience was, you know what? It's not a bad thing to be a Knott's Berry Farm. There's something you can learn from that and become part of that and so forth. So so our conversation is twofold. And one is to say, okay, Disney is fantastic. And it has done some amazing things over the last 60 plus years. What are some of those lessons that Disney has taught the industry? What have we gained from Disney? But then secondly, to say, and by the way, what could the industry today maybe teach Disney? Uh, that it could benefit from. So, so uh, if we can kind of go with that, uh, those two sets of uh, questions, and um, and uh, and get your thoughts, Doug, as to what you know when you're at Disneyland and you have been to all these different parks across the country and elsewhere. When you look at these other parks, what do you say? Man, I wish they'd get this right. You know, I wish it was a little bit like Disneyland. You know, what comes to your mind? What do you see from that uh, from that experience? With Disney, it, the first thing that always comes to mind when I'm over there is that it never feels like it's an operation. You know, it, wow. it always feels like when you're there, you're there in this place of fantasy, this place of magic. You never really feel that sense of these people are working here. Uh, this is an operation. This is strategically place to do to make sure that your guests are going this way and satisfied this way it is when you're there it's your day of fun and uh, I think a lot of parks still miss that to this day um, basically all of them if you're not a Disney park you're still missing that at, at every park it still feels in some way shape or form like it runs as an operation and that you aren't necessarily a guest as much as you're a customer I love that because uh, you know so many times I can be at a, at a different park and I feel like you know, suddenly I'm, I'm starting to kind of get into that park and to that theme. And then all of a sudden I'm interrupted by somebody who wants to sell me something, you know, yeah. or, you know, to 
get me a sign up for something or to buy something from them. And, 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 uh, I'm lost, you know, suddenly I'm distracted by the fact that they, they need to stop and be a business. Um, whereas Disney operates on the philosophy, if we can immerse them in the experience, then they don't, then the business will come. Um, you know, you don't have to, uh, to worry about that. And I think that's where Walt started originally, you know, when you think about how, you know, in 1955, he couldn't, he could, he could barely get the banks to approve 17 million in loans because the paradigm at the time was these cheap carnivals, these street kind of, uh, carnivals. And, uh, and he was like saying, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be, it's going to be clean. It's going to be upbeat and people are going to be friendly and they're going to be immersed yeah. in this and so forth. And now, you know, Disney <laughs> takes $5 billion in the banks. Yeah, let me give you a, let me give you a few billion. And they go off and build Shanghai, you know, and, <laughs> and these kinds of, you know, major, major um, experiences. And uh, people have gotten this, that if you, if you build it right, uh, they'll come yeah well i think that's actually something that you notice at uh it was just a universal uh, last last fall and i hadn't been at universal orlando in quite a while but walking near the jurassic park area and just right there is a you can do a wall climbing activity you have to pay money but you can climb and it's some kind of a training as if it's in the movie the the most recent jurassic park movie and it it, it, it felt out of place. It felt very business-y uh, where I, I, I don't know. Not that there might not be opportunities somewhat like that, but they seem to be set apart at the Disney parks. And so I think, Doug, you're spot on with that idea that it's absolutely an operation. It doesn't appear like one when you're there. It's just like the uh, just the, the people who are working in, whoever is there as a cast member at that moment when they're on break. You never see them on break. You know, where in other parks, you see them on break all the time. You yeah. see them doing whatever. And you just, that's the thing is, is that presentation that Disney has mastered makes it all the difference in the world compared to everybody else, including Universal. Universal still needs to learn that practice. Yeah, no, and, 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 and every other organization needs to. How many times do I end up in front of a Walmart or Target and you see the employees all standing outside the, outside the door, you know, yeah. you know smoking away. Smoking, yeah. <laughs> thinking, really, you can't yeah. give them a break area, you know, <laughs> other than the front door? Yeah, you know, exactly. is there not another option? And I think Disney gets that, and I think other organizations struggle. And I love the example you gave, David, because I like the rock wall idea. I love the concept, but, it, but it's just simply a... a uh, off-the-shelf rock wall concept that they bought from IAPA right. and they brought in from the from the industry that puts on amusement park rides and they've done nothing to really you know incorporate it into what they've already spent millions of dollars to theme because there is a lot of theming at Universal um, and yet they'll bring in a cheap you know attraction like that or something yeah. like that and it just it disrupts the the spirit of what they're doing um, Another thing that I have, I think is really important that, that Disney learned early on, you know, they, there wasn't enough space at Disneyland, still is not enough space at Disneyland. So when they went to Walt Disney World, they looked at it from building a resort concept. I've seen a lot of other uh, enterprises go toward that bigger concept, toward that resort concept. Um, one of them is, uh, you know, uh, we just talked about Universal. Universal has a park in Singapore 
and um, and it's a nice little park, but it's actually part of a larger resort property called Sentosa. And Sentosa is actually a lot like Walt Disney World. It's actually a government entity that then brings in many different theme park operators and many hotels and many rides and uh, and uh, actually has learned from that Disney model of concept of building, you know, the the whole enchilada, the whole experience, as opposed to just that theme park. And I've seen that same thing play out with, uh, I mean, 40 years ago, you went to go skiing, you went to, you know, you went to a ski slope. Nowadays, it's a full ski resort. And there's hotels and dining, and it's the whole experience, uh, as opposed to just simply ski slopes, and, um, and a place to ski. And even even 365 days out of the year, they're trying to build, bring business. So, you know, I have a couple of resorts that I've worked with and in the off season, they're trying to build activities in the summer and recreational experiences. And uh, one brought in a water park, you know, for summer, you know, and then enclosed part of it for the winter. And, you know, they're looking at the entire experience as opposed to just um, being a park or being a hotel or being just one thing. They're looking at the whole combination. Yeah, and you, you brought up Sentosa too, which is interesting because I, I always think of Sentosa as kind of like, yeah, you're right, like Walt Disney World, plus a little bit of like Las Vegas mixing it in there too because you have the, it's not just parks and stuff, it's that shows, you know, like you have all these different types of big water shows that they have throughout there in this whole resort. So yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. Well, and I think I think Tokyo Tokyo Disney Resort is a very good example of that as well. That's actually I looked on it was you know doing uh, making sure I had the address for your your website correct, and the front splash photo right there is Tokyo mm. Disney Sea. And I just I, I keep telling Jeff I want to live there. Like if they would let me find some <laughs> a little corner just a nook, I would abandon my entire life and live there. Uh, but I just got to visit there this past fall for the first time. I was able to do all four of the Asian parks in a two week chunk. And um, that Tokyo Disney Resort is about as close as I feel to a resort that I had been at, uh, like Walt Disney World, with you know the uh, Ixpari, that that huge you know downtown Disney two or three story shopping mall, and those different parks with that monorail line around it. And they figured out how to get that resort vacation destination type feel. Yeah, they do. Even though their primary audience is within, you know. Uh within a, a train ride, you know, across the city, for, you know, through Tokyo, they, they still have really brought in that larger um, resort experience uh, for people. So, um, yeah. What other, what other things, Doug, are you seeing that when you're at other parks, you're saying, gosh, I wish, I wish you were doing a little bit more like Disney. Yeah, well, uh, obviously the very first thing I, I think of is, and I, I look at like Universal for this situation is, how quick they are to be able to bring in the newer attractions, the the you know, to keep people interested in their parks and, and being able to bring in new things that are actual attractions rather than dressovers. And and I, I, I get a little tired of the dressovers in Disney with the you know, whenever, you know, with the frozen stuff that happened bad in the past and then with Jungle Book and that stuff. And you know, I, I just don't know if that's necessarily something that really adds to the quality of Disney. And uh and I see Universal, they keep on adding in big attraction after big attraction. And, and if, it seems like th Disney takes a long time to finally get that big immersive attraction out where I think it's, it, 
it seems like it takes them a much longer time now than it did in the 80s and in the 90s. And I kind of would love to see them get back to that because other parks are doing that now. So I, so that's a great uh, – and why don't we just segue on that. How do you feel about this Guardians of the Galaxy layover to Tower of Terror? Because I was there – I was at Disneyland last week, and I got to tell you, I'm the, I've been, I was the biggest roll-my-eyes skeptics and don't you dare do this at Disney Hollywood Studios or I'll kill you, you know, th- to just do a, a rollover. And by the way, I heard some rumor later to today that, that, that there is something coming to the studios – um, if, uh, that is a Guardian of the Galaxy layover or, or attraction, but I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's the tower. But at any rate, um, but I have to say, looking at the tower last week as it was coming down from all its remodel, um, even though I was tempted to look at that and say, "Gosh, didn't we see those colors when Tomorrowland was redone?" <laughs> A few years ago, you know, because it's like this looks like a Tomorrowland thing. Yeah. But I have to say, thinking about the previous Tower of Terror, it 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 had it looked old and not old on purpose because that's the theme to make yeah. it old. It looked like it had worn yeah. and that they really had not taken care of it. So I was in, I'm intrigued to see what they can redo to it. I don't know. I don't know if this is this is a great lesson for other organizations or if Disney's making a mistake here. Well, it's it's this is the other thing. My my other kind of complaint about what Disney is is that they do tend to seem they seem like they are going a lot more corporate right now than than going back to like you're talking about that Knott's Berry charm, just homegrown. You know, that's what Disneyland is. You know, Disneyland wasn't all about being a corporate entity as yeah. as the land itself. I mean, you, you had the fantasy land rides in there that were based off of property but outside of that i mean there wasn't a lot of stuff that was based off of ips and it seems like disney's definitely going in ip 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 they have to do all this ip i don't know if it's because the universal's doing it or whatever but uh that's the one thing too is that i noticed that it, it would be great for disney to go back into the original story but going on with the, what you're saying with the guardians of the galaxy it is it, it's all about overlays right now and they, they are they're going with anything that's big, anything that's fast right now. They're doing a lot of overlays. And I don't necessarily know if it's the best move or not. We'll, we're going to find out with Guardians of the Galaxy. I do know that that Tower, to, uh, Tower of Terror over at Disney California uh, was not nearly as loved and cherished as the one in Florida. Yeah. The Florida one's the original one. It's the one that has such a huge, immensely immersive environment as soon as you step even close to the queue, you know, you feel like you're, you're in this brand, this hotel, this old, this scary hotel by, by the music, by the, the, the vegetation, everything. You don't get that at all at California Adventure. And so I could see them saying, we could do this with California Adventure because this one's already been bombed on by so many uh, Disney fans. But I, I, I doubt it that they would ever touch I hope that they, hope never they will never me. touch. And <laughs> yeah. you know, it, when you go to the Tower of Terror in Tokyo, it's a totally, it, it has nothing to do with the Twilight Zone. Ugh, but it gorgeous. is done so well and so attended to. Mm-hmm. I think that's maybe the message is whatever you're going to do, embrace it. Don't do it half-hearted. I think, I think yes. California Adventures version is a half-hearted. So if they can, if they figure out how to truly, truly, truly embrace guardians and make it truly great then yeah. all more power to them but if they're going at, at it half-hearted like they did 
you know, with with Tower in the first place. I think. Well, yeah, that, that and that's the thing. I mean, Disney California Adventure. We can all say, all of us big Disney fans, we can say that that's been a half-hearted heart until 2012. You know, it was. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was something just to put in. It was one of those corporate, just put in some rides, do whatever you have to do, just get another park there. And obviously you can't do that with Disney. And it, it took them, you know, a, a dozen years to switch that, to change that up. And so I, I imagine from here on out, anything that they do with California Adventure is going to be at a Disney standard. And uh, I'm hoping that Guardians of the Galaxy is too. Uh, especially, yeah, especially with Joe in charge of that project, as is, you know, I think what's going to happen with the Avatar, but we'll, and Pandora, but we'll come back to that in a moment. I do, did want to go back to that overlay thing because when I was at California, I did Disney California Adventure. I did a, a Facebook Live from Red Rose Tavern, which was simply an overlay of Beauty and the Beast on top of Pinocchio's Village House. And it was a nice little overlay. It was a temporary thing, kind of like Frozen. I'm okay with that. But my the, the takeaway that I got from that was um, people were in long lines. I don't think so much to see the overlay as they were. They had come up with some really good food concepts, new concepts, the souvenir um, mugs and steins. And in fact, they had ran out and that was a big thing. A lot of people were in line for and thinking, well, why didn't you do that with Pinocchio's? Why didn't you reinvent your food back then? Why did you have to run on the hamburger and uh, on, on the traditional hamburger French fry concept for so long? Couldn't you have reinvented yourself you know, food-wise at least, for that and seeing a longer line. Um, so I think that's a miss for Disney is is that I lo- I'm okay with the overlay, especially if it's a temporary thing with Beauty and the Beast, but I, but I have to ask you, what are you waiting for to fix the food in the other places? You know, why do you have to have an overlay? Why do you have to have a new movie come out to do something decent to take, to take the quality up to the next level? Yeah, and, and I feel like whenever they do that, uh, even though it's an overlay, they always take away something that was a small piece of charm that's been there for years before. So something that was there back in 1983 when it reopened as a new fancy land, yeah. I think something is going to be gone from it now when they take that overlay down because they have to remove stuff to put stuff in. And, you know, I, they take forever to get a brand new attraction out, but they take no time at all to get rid of, things like that. And so they don't, that's a very good time. They don't take the time to put it all back together. They just try to do a different overlay so that they don't have to keep on doing it. So you're missing those pieces from the past that were so charming and so important to that, to that real estate that's there. Yeah. I love that. That that's a, that's a really good, good point. Well, and I, you know, I think the thing too, which is, which is somewhat frustrating about this issue is we know that they can do layovers well, because at least in my experience, I thought Hyperspace Mountain was fantastic. I had not gotten to, to ride it Hyperspace Mountain until yeah. uh, you know at the 60th, just just last September, and it was fantastic. And they did that well. But then it's out in Hong Kong Disneyland as well. Boring as all get out. I mean, it's nothing. Oh, no. Just it, it just it didn't nothing have like the it. same. No, it didn't have the oh, same wow. thrill, the same excitement. The score did not seem to be synced up as well oh, to no. give you that additional rush. And so we know they can do it. We know that they can also refer an attraction like they did with the Haunted Mansion, you know, what was it, seven years ago or so, and they can keep the original identity of that attraction, but then somehow make it better. So I think that's what's the most frustrating is, 
you know, it, it's, it's like when your child uh, misbehaves and you say, I know that you can be good. We've seen it. What are you doing? We know that they can do this stuff well, but for some reason they've decided to, to not uh, with some of these attractions and, and some of these areas. And that's what I think becomes frustrating, at least from a Disney yes. Parks fan perspective. Yes. Man, well, I haven't even been to that one over there, but uh, yeah, if you're going to go all out at one park, you should be doing it everywhere because you're representing the Disney company at every single park. It should be like grade A at every single one. Hi, everyone. We are actually going to put a break in our episode right here and split it into two episodes. After we got done recording, we realized that we had so much to share with Doug Barnes about our topic of discussion that we wanted to make sure that you had it uh, in two chunks to be able to listen to a little more easily on your drive, your commute, your time at work. And so what we will do is on our next episode, part two, we will basically just rewind the conversation a little bit to make sure that you have the opportunity to listen to uh, the beginning or uh, the beginning parts of this conversation where we did end up splitting this into two episodes. As always, if you would like any more information on Disney at Work, or in this case, the Season Pass podcast, where our guest Doug Barnes is a host, we ask that you visit DisneyAtWork.com, click on the podcast tab, and you will find that information there. Uh, Additionally, if you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, please feel free to email us at podcast at disneyatwork.com. See you next time.